we've been uh, working through Ephesians in our sermon series uh, with a theme being called In Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians we're really working on, uh, they're really describing the knowledge of believers being in Christ, uh, how we are brought in and the blessings included in being in Christ. It's the you from Tulip, Tulip from Calvinism, you, unmerited favor. We are brought in by grace through faith alone. And the blessings, the one major blessing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, provides enlightening for our sin uh, it, that convicts us to repent. The Holy Spirit is a spiritual power provided. And we also have been brought into Christ through the Holy Spirit. Well, we're moving into chapters uh, 4 through 6 this week. And these provide more practical applications of what to do with that knowledge of being in Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 are the verses we'll be focusing on this morning. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it now. I will read it. Uh, again, Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. The title is Unity in the Body of Christ. Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things." And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us into Christ. Lord, may we hear and heed the words of Paul, encouraging and exhorting us to seek unity in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the major points for the message this morning are unity in the Spirit through Christ. Children, pay attention. This is where the little blanks are in the bulletin. Unity in the Spirit through Christ, diversity in the Spirit through gifts, and unity in the body of Christ. I'll do it one more time. 
unity in the spirit through Christ, diversity in the spirit through gifts, and unity in the body of Christ. Verses 1 through 6 address the first bullet point, unity in the spirit through Christ. Paul, again, reminds us he's writing from prison. And he encourages the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of their call. The call, as we just discussed, is one of grace and grace alone. We have been, just like the Ephesians, we too have been uh, brought into Christ by Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the head uh, who blesses us with the Holy Spirit. This uh, causes us to be responsible to glorify the one who saves us. We must Uh, We have a responsibility to do that. There's actually a moral obligation to live as Christ has both represented and taught us. And the next three chapters flesh this out in greater detail with very practical applications. Uh, It applies to work, to family, um, and all kinds of stuff that's debated all the time. But Paul's first emphasis is not any of those specifics. It's unity in the spirit for those who are in Christ. It's his first and highest appeal. Again, it's before those details, before the nitty-gritty that everybody wants to know. Why? Have you guys ever heard of cage-stage Calvinists? Right? What's a cage-stage Calvinist? A cage-stage Calvinist is someone who comes to the doctrines of grace... And they realize they're finally right and everyone else is wrong, right? And so there's this theological bar now that everybody has to meet to attain of, of that. You're a, uh, Michelle and I joke sometimes and say, well, when did you get saved and then when did you become a, when did you become a Calvinist? Like that's, that's the order of sanctification or something. Um, that's a joke, obviously, but cage stage Calvinism, that's a real thing. I've been accused of it. I'm sure plenty of us have been. Uh, But what if we talk about cage-stage paedo-communionists or cage-stage theonomists or cage-stage post-millennialists? Now, I'm not saying that any of these are wrong. They they all require, obviously, they all required study and prayer for us to be convinced We may have even thought they were heresy prior to being convinced. Remember, the human heart is an idol factory. That's what John Calvin said. Some idols are easy to see and condemn. The term homosexuality is one that I think encapsulates what is going on in our world in terms of sexual perversion. The definition is a desire for a non-traditional sexual category which goes against the good gift of man and woman coming together and bearing fruit. Instead, our world wants to exchange that for abominations with each other and even mutilation of one's own body to try to deny that reality. And it's all for the sake of libertine freedom. That's a really easy idol to see and to vilify. Because it is an idol, it's bad. But what about the idol of something that isn't bad in and of itself? When raised to the level of a theological sniff test, it causes us to look down on someone or question their faith 
or even not want to be in uh, communion with them. Paul provides uh, the key to pursuing unity among believers in our households, uh, here at All Saints, and in fact, across all of Christendom. He encourages us, he exhorts us to treat others with humility and gentleness, to be patient, to bear with one another in love. We are to pursue unity in the spirit that was given to all of us. We are to seek peace. I can hear the voices in your head because they're in mine too. Herb, why should we pursue peace with people who pervert the scriptures? Well, my answer is that's not what I'm saying and that's not what the text is saying. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and seeking peace are not sins. And they do not allow the truth to be uh, dismissed or thrown out or anything. They are not at the expense of that. They are more of a mindset and a posture that we should take as believers. None of these ask us to compromise our faith. None of these ask us to throw away the truth of Scripture. May it never be so. Humility and gentleness require us to speak the truth in love, desiring to build up fellow believers. Patience demands that we remember God's patience with us when we were in our sin. The unity uh, and, and extend it to others. That's what we're supposed to do with patience. Remember God's patience with us and extend it to others. The unity in the spirit and peace are to be sought. These are virtues to be sought. All of these exhortations are really from the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. We desire grace when we've erred. We must extend that same grace to others. We must be careful not to cause unnecessary strife where Christ has extended freedom and forgiveness. Now this unity is ultimately rooted in the body of Christ. It's rooted in those who have the Holy Spirit. These are really one and the same. And uh, Paul talks about that oneness coming from having one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. These should unite believers across time and space. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ. There is one faith in his sinless life, atoning death and triumph over death. One baptism as a sign and seal of the covenant that he makes with us. One God and Father of all who breathed creation into being. Who is over all and through all and in all. The creeds really do a good job of boiling all of this down, right? They are a lowest common denominator for Christian faith. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. We are to approach other believers with a posture of unity rather than trying to determine how credible they are by their theology and practices. This was a big part 
of the formation of our denomination. We had practices that were deemed unacceptable and we banded together in unity, seeing those as being within the realm of still being a unified denomination. I think that's an important lesson moving forward for the denomination in, in all honesty. The second point is diversity in the spirit through gifts. Now that uh, is in verses 7 through 14 of Ephesians 4. The gifts given by Christ when he ascended and led, captive, led captives reminds us of Acts chapters 1 and 2. Pentecost is when the Spirit was poured down onto believers. Remember then, the gifts were realized in a new and fuller way than before. Nowhere is this evidence more than in the quote Paul includes uh, from Psalm 68.18 in terms of that tie-in. The first half of the quote in the ESV, the, the actual uh, verse from Psalm 68 is, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. The context there is Paul's ascension to the throne after uh, Saul uh, was defeated. It's explained in the following verse in Ephesians then how Christ uh, paralleled that journey, uh, how, he was, uh, how he descended and then was, was ascended as well. Christ's ascension was not just his ascension into heaven. It wasn't just a, uh, a merely positional change, but it was actually a kingly ascension, just like David. The king ascended to the throne. This is echoed in Paul's uh, continual reminder. Continu he continually reminds us that he is uh, writing this from prison. It's a common theme in scripture. Prison comes before ascension, before a king or ruler. Think about Joseph. Joseph was in prison before coming to Pharaoh. Jonah was in a type of prison before he went to the king of Nineveh. Jesus was in a tomb before ascending to the throne. And Paul is merely just the latest to go from prison to his journey to the Caesar. The second part of this quote of Psalm 68 is a little more difficult, and it has been debated a lot. Paul actually changes the wording. Instead of the psalm saying, gifts are being received, Paul says that gifts are being given to men. And I found a lot of spilled ink on this topic with lots of different conclusions. I tend to agree with Calvin, as I do many times. Uh, the gifts received by David from both uh, those in the covenant and those recently conquered were received and then used, as it quotes later, that the Lord God may dwell there. So what does that mean? That means the gifts were actually used to worship and glorify God. Christ now as the king, Christ now as the king who has ascended, he is giving gifts to us so that we may glorify him. They're actually the spoils of victory. The Holy Spirit is the spoil of victory of Christ conquering death. The Holy Spirit comes now from the Father and the Son as the Trinity works to bring about redemption. Paul knew this. Paul had faith in this even in his situation, knowing that the Holy Spirit 
brings life from death. These good gifts were proof. Paul actually came face to face with God and had a visceral physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit bringing the gifts to him. The same Holy Spirit is what gives us good gifts today. He brings us from death to life as we enjoy the spoils uh, of our ruling and reigning king. The gifts in verse 11 then are in direct relation to, uh, uh, to the word of God and the revelation of the word of God and the teaching of the word of God. Pastors, shepherds, and teachers are really the only offices that are still used by God today. Um, but the point is that there is a diversity in the gifts that are given. Paul discusses these because, again, of their importance to teach the scripture and their place in the scriptures. Uh, they are whom God has gifted to provide an anchor for the body to stand. Uh, the equipping of the saints through their ministry is what grows the body into maturity and stability. And this is where spiritual maturity is found. It's found in the word. Paul gives warnings as to what happens if these gifts are not used. He used surely an appropriate uh, metaphor for both his experience um, and one that we can understand too, but one that he actually experienced, uh, which is uh, understanding of a ship being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Shepherds and teachers provide the theological rock upon which we stand so we are not tossed to and fro by every theological um, wind. And there are heresies that come up all the time in the church. Uh, one that's on my mind often is the argument our brothers in the uh, Presbyterian Church of America are battling with the revoice um, situation. There is a, they're trying to make a distinction that your, your desires and your um, actions are not linked and therefore, if you don't, uh, if you, restri you restrain yourself from sinning with your body, you can still be the sinful desire. That could still be who you are. It's almost like reverse Gnosticism, right? Um, it's not the knowledge in the act. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's what the Pharisees were doing, really, right? It's what Jesus was addressing with the Pharisees, um, you're a whitewashed tomb. It's, it's what's inside, except in Revoice, they're flaunting it that they are. They will claim homosexuality, but that they're celibate. And they'll say that's okay. They are a homosexual in their being. But I would argue that sinful desires are just that. Sinful desires. We rely on Christ's atonement for forgiveness um, of all of our sins and must be vigilant against a disembodied theology used to justify sinful thoughts and behaviors. There are many of these in the church and culture in other ways, many other uh, things that, uh, just little doctrines that try to push uh, the church around. One that was especially uh, prescient this uh, week, I believe this week and last, is the idea that uh, Christians should be for federal government student loan forgiveness because 
our whole religion is based on forgiveness of sins. While that is true, that our religion is based on the forgiveness of sins, that's a huge part of it as being a Christian, uh, we need to take a closer look. Christian, so man sinned against the creator and lawgiver. He sent his son to take the punishment for our sins, and he forgave us the debt that we owed him by his son paying for it. You see how that transaction works? The government forgave student loans, and the responsibility to cover that forgiveness was given to people that had not taken out loans, not agreed to anything like that. So it's complete false equivalence, and actually it's the opposite of what they're claiming. Debt was given to somebody who did not have debt. This is just an example of a slippery slope that may resonate with people who are not strong in their theology and, and, and their understanding of the biblical text. We must be built up into maturity from the word of God. This is difficult because it's really not just theological understanding. It's not just biblical facts. It's wisdom that helps us apply that information. It's wisdom that helps to determine the importance of a doctrine and its place in the overall unity of the church. It's wisdom that knows when to answer a fool his folly and when to not answer a fool his folly. This is the maturity we are to be built up into in Christ's body. Now, although this passage does deal a lot with uh, pastors, teachers, apostles, that kind of stuff, and those who are gifted in that way, there are this still is applicable to people that are not um, gifted in those ways. And this brings us to our third point, which is unity in the body of Christ. The idea of gifting through the Holy Spirit is not exclusive to, to, the, to teachers and apostles and shepherds. Everyone has been given gifts um, to unite the body. Everyone has been given gifts to unite the body. This doesn't mean we have to serve on a committee or lead a book study. Uh, building unity in the body of Christ happens when a parent is uh, teaching their child math or reading uh, in a homeschool setting. Building up the body of Christ happens when we call to check in on someone that we know is struggling. Building up the body of Christ happens when we open our homes for hospitality. Building up the body of Christ happens when a husband prays with his wife. All of these contribute to the unity of the body of Christ. And I ask you, what are you doing to build up the body of Christ? How can you serve through hospitality? How can you help the widows and orphans in our midst? How can you serve those in need? How are you caring for your family? We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to build up the body. You can do it. You can do it in a manner worthy of your calling. You've been called by the God of the universe, given the Spirit and joined into Christ's body. 
Christ as the head is ruling and reigning over heaven and earth. May we use the gifts and abilities he has given us to live as we serve the king. In conclusion, Paul emphasized that all of this must be done in love. Love should be our motivating factor. Love should be the goal. Love should be the result. They will know us by our love for each other. This comes through patience, humility, and gentleness with each other. This comes from acknowledging we have all been forgiven by Christ and knowing that we've all been gifted through the Holy Spirit in different ways. We can move forward in our unity, humbled by Christ's work in our lives, but confident in the gifts that he has given us. May we go about our week remembering with humility that we are in Christ by grace and grace alone, seeking unity with believers while using our Holy Spirit-given gifts to build up the body of Christ, glorifying the final Davidic King, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.